0: Then they this man who had interacted with Jesus, he steps forward, he makes a comment, says, like, you know, we ought to also we ought to at least hear this man out, right? And verse 47, they answered Nicodemus and said, Are you also deceived? You gotta be kidding me. You believe also? Now in their heart they know they're losing the battle. So, like a, a school board meeting who knows that the argument's getting out of control. They're going to have to regroup. They table it. Verse 53, and everybody, the end of chapter 7, so at this point, they're like, we're losing this argument. So they went, they just adjourned, they just tabled every conversation they're having, and they went, everyone, to his own house. So they think they're going to show up tomorrow with a better argument. They got an idea. But the only thing they succeed in proving is the ugliness of human sin, or the human heart. So now we're in John chapter 8, and they think they've got a clever idea, verse 1. Jesus has gone to the Mount of Olives to pray, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came in unto him, and he sat down, and he taught them as he's been teaching them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Oh, you remember this story. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such a person be stoned. What do you say? And this they said, tempting him that they might have occasion to accuse him. But Jesus didn't say anything. He didn't respond with anything at first. And he stoops down in the ground. and With his finger, he wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. Now, when the scripture speaks and is clear, you want to speak with clarity. And when it's not, use your imagination. What did he write in the ground? I don't know. I'll give you some thoughts on that. But at first glance, in the first glance at this story, you say, "What is the ugliness of human sin?" And you would illustrate it by this woman, right? And you would say, "Adultery." say, ah. "Everybody with an uproar talks about the terribleness of sin." After all, it carried with it capital punishment. And by the way, not just for the woman, but for the man. What's missing from this story? The man. man. So right off the bat, you know, they haven't come seeking justice. They've come for another reason. Putting this hypothetical out before Jesus trying to trap him. Verse 6 was something that they might use against him later. And therein is the true ugliness of man's sin. The whole episode was a setup, wrote James Montgomery Boyce, which in the end showed the perverse hypocrisy of the so-called spiritual to be far more distasteful than even the actions of the woman. While all sin is sin... And Jesus certainly calls this sin, as you read through his narrative, but Jesus reserves the harshest language of condemnation for those who have been eyewitness to everything Jesus has done and said, and yet they do not believe. And I give you an example, Matthew chapter 11, you can look it up, it's a story you know about. Jesus uses the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember that, Sodom and Gomorrah? And you'd say, oh, that was an evil place, right? Everybody agrees with that? You know the story of Sodom? Yes, it was terrible. And Jesus uses Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 11 of Matthew. And he says to them, if they had seen and heard me like you have seen and heard me, he says, that would still be a great city to this day. Wow. As terrible as were the sins of Sodom, as embarrassing as the sin of this woman, as awful as the sin of someone else, you might, right? All of us know somebody else with a more terrible sin than ours. And so we're going to throw them under the bus. We'll bring them before Jesus as exhibit A as why your sin and my sin is not near as terrible as them. But in Matthew 11, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for Sodom. It will be more bearable for this woman. It will be more bearable for that person you're thinking of right now, so terrible, in the day of judgment, than it will be for you. Who've heard Jesus, who has been a witness to what Jesus has done than for that person who's outside. Why? Because you know the truth and the only thing you're doing is using the truth to judge others while ignoring your own sin. As someone suggested, Jesus then stooped down on the ground and he began to write the name of a woman that one of the Pharisees had had an affair with and then he wrote perhaps the name of a young man that one of the Pharisees had fathered outside of marriage. And then he, he, maybe he scratched out the name of a, or the word of another sin that one of the Pharisees privately had a problem with. And by the way, did you know that this whole story in some translations is actually totally omitted? It's not even in there. And someone sarcastically suggested because perhaps it just hit too close to home for some of the translators. So whatever the case and whatever the sin you're thinking of, Romans chapter, excuse me, Psalm chapter 90 says, our iniquities are spread out before you. Our secret sins are revealed in the light of your presence. And Jesus will soon call himself the light of the world. And in the presence of Jesus, we see the beauty of divine wisdom. We continue on with chapter 8, verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifts up himself and he says unto them, and you you love this, right? You think, wow, what what a comeback. He that is without sin, go ahead, you cast the first stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, and notice who left first. Cuz they've been around longer and they know that they know when they're caught. Beginning at the oldest, right? Even to the last, cuz the young man don't quite understand yet. They don't they don't get it yet. They don't know. They haven't been through enough life yet. They haven't made enough mistakes. They don't They think they're still smug enough to get away with it, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Like the old Scottish preacher said, James Moffat, the older ones left first because they knew better, and the younger ones waited confidently, thinking they were untouchable. Sooner or later, they all realized. And the trap that they had hoped to set for Jesus was was their idea of a contradiction of the law of Moses. The law of Moses says this, what are you going to say? Because on the other hand, it was pitting Jesus against Roman rule. If Jesus called for the death penalty, as Moses said, then they were going to be carrying out a rarely used form of punishment under Roman rule, under Roman Palestine. And if he called for the death penalty, it would also pit him directly against Roman rule, who alone, because you know from the Easter story, Rome alone had the authority to condemn someone to death. He would be taking authority from them. They thought they had him. Whatever the case, these Pharisees had no doubt smugly celebrated this brilliant idea. They had breakfast, they all toast their orange juice together. Let's do it, guys, let's go. And they present it as they hatched this, without any consideration, that they are unwittingly, unknowingly opening the door to the further claims of Jesus because only the sinless have the right to judge and only the sinless have the right to forgive, right? And so, furthermore, the answer of Jesus to this dilemma has determined the fate of every sinner who's ever sought forgiveness. How can the righteous one, now think this through, how can a righteous one justify a sinner? How can someone who is Without sin, forgive someone with sin. Perfection can never accept less than perfection. Because that would undermine your integrity and your perfection. In other words, doesn't Jesus have to somehow compromise his own standard? If he's going to embrace a sinner. And the beauty of Jesus' response turns the table on the accusers, leaves the guilty one without anyone left to condemn her, as it says there in verse 7. So, what have we learned so far? What does it take to be a judge? Who only can be a judge? One who is, right, righteous, okay, without sin, sinless. And who alone can forgive sins? Someone who is. Righteous, without sin. And Jesus is the last man standing, right? And with no one left to condemn this woman, Jesus does what only Jesus has the right to do. And we see the the wonder of this incarnate love, verse 11. She says, no man, Lord. And Jesus says unto her what only Jesus can say, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. For the first time in her indulgent lifestyle, someone has said to her, don't do it again, don't do it again. And for the first time, she actually desires to comply with this command, not to do it again. Every addiction, every habit, every hidden sin, every other thing, that you come to Jesus with, Jesus is the one who can, for the first time, give you the power to lay it down and to say, you know what? I don't want to do it anymore. I'm going to leave it behind, and I'm going to let Jesus handle it. Never pick it up again. For the first time in her life, this woman began to realize that divine perfection and justice cannot be fully understood apart from divine mercy and love. The demand for punishment of sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, and we obey in love, not from fear of punishment. And in a few short months, Jesus would be directly accused by some of these same men. And at that time, Jesus will accept the false accusations on behalf of this woman At that time, Jesus will accept. Remember as a lamb led to the slaughter, remember that? He opened not his mouth, and he will accept the accusations on behalf of this woman, on behalf of the thief to his side, on behalf of the onlooker. Remember the the centurion, Mark chapter 15, who said, Surely this must be the Son of God, and for By taking our sin, Mark 15, Jesus is now numbered among the transgressors. As the song made famous by George Beverly Shea proclaims, the wonder of it all, oh, the wonder of it all. Just to know that God loves me. God's son Jesus does not have the right to forgive me because he is perfect. Now hear me out. Jesus does not have the right to forgive me because I am perfect. Because on that basis, what is the only thing he could say? You're a sinner. The only thing his perfection proves is that I am a sinner condemned to hell. But because he took my place... Because every sin was laid upon him, everything he may have scratched out in the dirt of my life that is true about me, he took on him to pay the penalty of my sin. That's why he can forgive us, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is the light of the gospel. Let me begin with verse 12. This is the light of the gospel, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am. You remember the seven I am's of scripture in the gospel of John? I'll give them to you quickly. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. God is the great I am. Remember in, back in Exodus chapter 3. Remember when Moses was going to Pharaoh, and he says to God, whom shall I say has sent me? And God says to Moses, Tell him who sent you. I am. God is the great I am. And did you know we don't have a lot of explanation about that? We don't really know a lot about God just from that. But what we know about God is from his son Jesus. Most things we know about God is understood through the claims of our Lord Jesus. So those seven I ams, I give them to you quickly. John chapter 15, I take them in reverse order. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Abide in me, so you know that. John chapter 14, you know the great passage there where he's gone to prepare a place for you, and he concludes by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 10, I am the good shepherd. Again, John 10, I am the door. And uh, here in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And back last week in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. The backdrop of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, is not just the darkness of this woman's sin. We could say have that contrast that way. But it's actually on the occasion of the joyful, that's why they're there in Jerusalem and all that, And it's on this wonderful, joyful occasion of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And four huge lampstands would be lit in the temple yard. The gospel or good news of Jesus sent from God is not just for the light of the Jews. He's not just the light of the temple, the light of the Jews. Jesus says, I am what? The light of the world. world. Under the darkness of Roman rule and political compromise that plagued the religious leaders, Jesus breaks through with clarity of light that will banish the darkness of sin forever. And in the exchange that follows, we'll go through it quickly, we see the perfection of his response. Verse 13, the Pharisee said unto him, thou bearest record of thyself, and so your record isn't true. It's just you saying this. It's, It's not true. But the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of self-promotion, pride, arrogance, boasting. He alone is the light of the world. Says who? And Jesus responds. Verse 14. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came, and I know whither I go, but you cannot tell whence I came and whither I go. And of all the questions that man has ever asked, what's the first question that most people ask when they say things like, you know, where am I going? Why am I here? But the first question is, where did I come from? Where did all this come from? Where Where did everything we see come from? And the response to the question of speculation for us, God says, remember, he was in the beginning. Jesus was there with him. And the second response goes on, verse 15. You judge after the flesh... I don't judge man, and if I judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone, but I and my Father that sent me. The best man has to offer is only ever speculation of the flesh. When you have have a response to a need, a problem, a question, your best response is, at best, speculation, because you don't have all the facts, right? You haven't figured it all out yet. We don't have all the facts, so our judgment is faulty. God's understanding is complete. His judgments are sure. And there, the third part of his response, verse 17. It's also written in your in your law. The testimony of two are true. So Jesus and the Father, right? I am the one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bear witness of me. They, they heard. Remember when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And many of these guys were there when Jesus was baptized, and they heard the voice from heaven. God the Father, who said what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you know that every record of Jesus completes the gospel, fulfills the prophet's the Pharisees are further trapped now by the confession of their own words. Verse 19, then they said unto him, where's your father? They're, they're, they're admitting they, don't, they still don't get it. Jesus answers, you don't know me because you don't know my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And these words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught them in the temple. And no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. Then Jesus said again unto them, I go to my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. And then the Jews said, what, is he going to kill himself? Because he says, where he's going, we can't go. There's no middle ground, my dear friends. If you ever hope to know God the Father, you must come by way of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know the Father? Because you don't know Jesus. What they didn't understand is that Jesus would bear witness of their sin as he gave himself a ransom for many. And the bottom line is there, verse 23. He says unto them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, God the Father, the the Son sent from God the Father, you will die in your sins unless you believe that Jesus is the I am in the flesh. God incarnate sent to be the Savior of the world. If you don't believe that, you will die in your sins. And Jesus concludes by pointing again to the cross, verse 25. And he says, unto, they say unto him, who are you? And Jesus said, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and judge you. But you that sent, or he that sent me is true, and I speak the, to the world those things which I have heard of him, and they understood not that he spake of them of the Father. And then Jesus said unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, remember that conversation, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak of these things. And he that sent me is with me, the Father, hath not all... have have not left me alone for I do always those things that please him and these words he spoke and notice many believed the perfect answer for our sin is the Lord Jesus Christ do you believe before I leave the chapter I want to go back to where we began back in chapter 7 verse 53 and, and then I'll be done Notice that very little phrase there, where we began, and every man went unto his own house, right? On this night that's marked by joy and celebration at the temple, no one invites Jesus to their home. So I ask, is Jesus a guest at your home? Or when we're done here this morning and you close your Bible and we leave the prayer request behind, and you walk out that door back to your ball games and everything else that we've got, you know, we're so excited about. Do you leave Jesus here? Or does he go with you? Does he go with you? Is Jesus the guest at your home? Have you put off the claims of Jesus, maybe hoping to return on a more convenient day like these Pharisees did? Perhaps you've considered other things, are you still arguing with the idea that Jesus is everything he said? If you don't believe, I didn't say it, but if you don't believe, I know you're good, I know you're in church today, I know you've got a lot of really good qualities about you, but verse 24, chapter 8, verse 24, if you don't believe everything Jesus claims, if you don't believe, you are condemned to hell. I didn't say it, and I'm not saying you're a bad person, but you've heard me say it how many times before. You don't get into heaven by being good, and you're not sent to hell by being bad, but only if you believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ.